Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to Killing It the Crime Cast. I'm Lux. And I'm Sam talk about Sam? We talk about murder. Yes. Ooh. All right, quite enough of that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, so we've got a bit of housekeeping before we get going, as per. Yeah, we do a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, just yesterday, Lux and I attended the British Podcast Awards. Woo. It was incredibly fun. We both got all dressed up. Mm-hmm. We looked real good. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't uh, we weren't nominated for any of the major categories, but you know we just went to show some support, meet some other people. Uh, we met some fantastic people for some great podcasts. We met Nothing Rhymes with Murder. Those guys were super super lovely. We met Red Handed. We met Murder Mile. We met They Walk Among Us, and obviously congratulations to Walk Among Us for winning bronze in the uh, true crime category. Congrats, you guys! You deserve it. Absolutely, you deserve it. Um, we are sad we didn't see Slaughter though, but that's to be expected, seeing as no one knows what their faces look like. Yeah, that was that was that's, they've they've been very good at that. Yeah, so it's not like we could spot them in a crowd and go over and say hey, but they were they were present. Also, there is still time to enter the True Crime Podcast raffle to raise money for the End the Backlog campaign. I will put a link in the show notes. Uh, please be generous, as this campaign is very important. It's an incredibly important campaign. If you go to the previous episode. Uh, not the short one, episode nine. Mm-hmm. If you go to that, we uh, go into a little bit more detail about the campaign. It's a very, very, very fantastic campaign and uh, any donations would be incredibly well appreciated. Next, uh, a little shout out to uh, our buddy, our buddy Gemma, who is a, a regular at my bar that I work in. Um, it turns out that she listened and she is a fan and I am very grateful. Hello, Gemma. Hi, Thank you Gemma. very much. Thank you. We um, we bumped into her last week and I gave her a sticker and she seemed very pleased. She stuck it on her phone immediately. So a uh, nice little segue to remind you guys that we do have stickers and badges for sale uh, in our Etsy shop, which will be in the show notes. Yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure that's uh, all the housekeeping, isn't there? Oh, yes. That yeah. is it. Fantastic. So... Let's get into some murders. Uh, do you want to go first this week? Mm. Yeah, you want to, because I remember you told me earlier it's it's pretty grim. It's a pretty heavy one. And so you didn't want to use the, that to close out the show. No, so I've got some content warnings for you guys. Um, there are babies dying in this. Oh. Yeah, um, alcoholism as well, and um, potential, like, spouse manipulation, maybe? I don't know. Spousal abuse. Yeah. But let's play the game first. Oh, the game. I still need to make a jingle for that. We still need to make a name for that. We do. But you guys know the game. You know the game. We say two famous cases and it's a mish of those. Mish? A mash. It's a mash of A mish mash. Um, So do you remember about a year ago, this whole thing came up about in Ireland, there was a, like a home for the wayward women. They had like unwed mothers who were pregnant. I didn't really hear about this, no. No, and then they, so they found this home and there were like 800 baby corpses underneath. Oh, oh no, I did hear about yes. that. Yes. That was in, um, wasn't that in 2014? Um, I'm pretty sure that was. All that... the reports I read about it were in like 2016, 2017. Oh, okay. I, it's, it's so that's when di- I became aware of it. It's probably a different baby grave. Whatever. So that and also a little bit of, do you remember when you did the Stargate, no, Fugate and Starkweather? Was that their yeah, names? Yeah. yeah, so it's a little bit Caroline Fugate. Yeah, Caroline Fugate. Yeah, okay. A little bit okay. of that. So we're talking, I'm talking mass mass killing of, of babies, ah. I'm going to assume. And also, so Fugate was, she claimed she was manipulated, but actually was more of a culprit than she made out to be. Flip it and reverse it. Flip it and reverse it. Mm. So she's not actually as culpable as she thought, mm-hmm. as everyone thought. 
Okay. So yeah. there's a so there's a there's a big old little twistaroo. Little Shamalamalan twist. Shamala. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. So this is the case of Jesse King, who was born on the twentieth of March, eighteen seventy-five, um, around Edinburgh. There's some like Bearsden, apparently, but let's just say Edinburgh, because she was the last woman to ever be executed in Edinburgh. Oh, okay. So, uh, which is in Scotland, for all, all of you who didn't know. Um, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. That was pretty good yeah, for someone who doesn't good, do accents. Yeah. yeah. So she was born into a poor family who lived in the slums of Edinburgh, and when she was eighteen months old, her mother died. Um, her father remarried, and her stepmother was the quintessential evil stepmother. Oh, classic! There's not a lot of details Straight of what she out did. Of a Disney but film, right? literally, yeah. yeah. So um, then her father died before she turned eighteen. So not living a great life so far. Evil stepmother, dead mum, dead dad, <laughs> poor, not a great life, right? Yeah, this sounds pretty horrible. I know, it gets worse. So 21 years old, she goes to work in the mills and then she moves to Magdalene Hospital. Um, and this was a place that was supposed to make fallen, air quotes, women more respectable and train them how to be like house servants. Oh, okay. So it's like a little training school for wayward girls. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but she was 21 when that happened. Um, for wayward young women. Mm, um, and then she got pregnant. And she tried to conceal it. Hold up. How did she get pregnant at a school for girls? Well, I mean, it was it was just, it was Magdalene Hospital. Like, it's not like she was confined. I'm pretty sure she was able to roam around, do some roaming, do some romping. Roaming and romping? Yeah. Um, so I assume that's how she did it. I don't know. There wasn't, an, there was, uh, there wasn't any detail about her sexual activity. Um, but here's the kicker. So she, she got pregnant and she spent four months in jail because she concealed her pregnancy. Wait, what? Yeah. Um, concealment of pregnancy was illegal at the time. Okay. So here's a little bit more info about what you would do if you were a wayward woman who was pregnant. They used to get rid of their babies because they couldn't afford to look after them. So they used to pay people to take their babies off their hands. Google, I'm not talking to you. Yeah, Lux, <laughs> Lux just triggered our Google home. No. That bitch. Calm it, Google. All right. Um, so, yeah, they used to pay people to take their babies off their hands um, or they would pretend that they weren't pregnant so that they could just off the babies and have no, like, social repercussions. Yeah. So that's why it was a crime, I'm assuming. Abortion wasn't legal, so women had very few options when they were illeg illegitimately pregnant. So this was one of them. Another one is they could get backstreet abortions, but these would often go wrong and result in death. Yeah, the mortality rates for, like, having an abortion in an alleyway. Mm, not, not great. And I've, not, I've not actually, fantastic. I've actually heard cases where doctors sedated women, said they were going to give them an abortion, and then just raped them. Oh, come on, And man. didn't do the abortion. That's so horrific. I know. Absolutely. So basically, a lot of horrible stuff happens with backstreet abortions. They also can have the baby and try and support it, but often when you're a lower-class woman and you, you're desperate for money and there's not a lot of jobs going on, what do you turn to? Uh... Sex work. Uh, yeah, I was, I was sort of... Was that? <laughs> sex work. Sex work. Indeedy do. But that would just make it a vicious cycle because you didn't have condoms. So you just get pregnant again. And then oh you have to do God. more sex work to, to, you know, support those babies. Or they can try and find a man. But firstly, seen as shameful to be illegitimately pregnant. So what man is going to want you if you're a shameful yeah, lady? Yeah, at, at the time especially, that's what it was I mean, considered yeah. really bad. Mm. Um, and then secondly, they couldn't pretend not to be pregnant and then find a man and get married and then be like, oh, I'm pregnant because concealment of pregnancy can get you up to, I think it's 14 years in prison. So there's that. And then if they do manage to find a man, their options are so limited that they're probably going to find a dirt bag if they do find one. Basically, it's a very shitty time. And I'm going to use this shitty time as a segue into an upcoming referendum in Ireland. Now, I know you know about this. I do, yeah. This is, um, so there's the Eighth Amendment of the Irish Constitution, which says that you can't have abortions, right? And there's, on the Friday after this episode comes out, so this will come out on a Tuesday, the Friday after that, there is a vote about whether or not they should repeal the Eighth Amendment. Obviously, we think they should, because we have just told you about how horrible it is when women aren't allowed abortions. So it's real fucked up, and they should definitely vote yes, repeal the Eighth so 
whilst Ireland was the first country to legalise same-sex marriage by popular vote, they're really backwards when it comes to abortion. And this is often chalked up to Catholicism because they're quite a Catholic country. They're a very religious country still. Yep. So, um, oh, I actually, I got confused. You know, I said it was 14 years in prison for concealing pregnancy. Yeah. That wasn't in Victorian Scotland. It's, if you get an illegal abortion, it's up to 14 years in prison now, today. Oh my God. In Ireland. So this is like a super, super important issue. And basically it would really help if you see any information about the Irish referendum. You should look it up and you should share it. Mm-hmm. As many people who know about it and increase awareness of it will mean that there's a much more likely chance that it will become, it will get passed and it will be removed. I'm going to give you a couple more stats before we move on, if that's okay. Go. So, you know how usually abortions are seen as sort of ethically fine if the mother's life is in danger? Yeah. That only became law in 2013. So before that, if you were literally dying due to your pregnancy, you weren't allowed an abortion. Jesus Christ. Yep. And so often Ireland is quite close to the UK. Well, yeah. So Northern Ireland. It's always quite close to the UK. Often. It's often quite close. It's it's 95% of the time it's close to the UK. No, it is. Um... Right next door. So the Constitution Amendment was made 35 years ago. In those 35 years, more than 170,000 women have travelled to the UK for abortions. And this number is probably lowballing it as, obviously, if you if you have an illegal abortion, you go to prison. So these are just the known cases. 170,000 in 35 years. That's unbelievable. So I'm going to put a uh, link to the campaign for Repeal the Eighth in the show notes. Please go have a look. You can donate money. You can just raise awareness, spread the word, get people to vote yes, because it's fucking ridiculous. It's 2018. Like, come on, you guys. What the fuck? Yeah, absolutely. Sorry for that. I thought it was important. Obviously, this is yeah. a very sensitive case. It's about babies. It's about how poor women couldn't deal with it. And I just wanted to point out that it's still relevant and there's a referendum happen- happening very soon. So... Thought I'd bring it up. Sorry. Yeah, totally fine. I mean, uh, go on. Like, that's a really interesting point. But I will talk about Jesse King some more. So after her four months in jail for concealing a pregnancy, the man whose baby she was pregnant with offered to marry her. Ideal, right? Yeah, sounds great. All of her problems are solved. But she declined. And instead, she started dating a man named Thomas Pearson. Now, he was around 30 years older than her, and he was quite middle class. But he abandoned his wife and his family and just became a drunkard. There's a quote from this documentary that I watched that said he worked his way up and then drank himself down. Oh, yeah, fair. That's a good quote. Yeah, I I liked that a lot. So he pretty much just decided, fuck it. I'm just going to be a drunk for the rest of my life, I guess. uh, That's literally all he did. Mm. There's evidence that he killed one of his previous lovers by beating her to death. Um, I couldn't find any info on that other than people think he did it. Nonetheless, Jesse King moved in with him and they lived together in various different houses between August 1887 and October 1888. So she and Pearson would just drink all day, just being drunk layabouts together, and they would change their surnames as they moved around. And they would also change the way they'd present their relationship. So sometimes they were father and daughter, sometimes they were uncle and niece, and sometimes they were a couple. Because obviously he's 30 years older than her, so I don't know, they just started lying about who they were. No idea know why. This is why. They start doing some crimes. Um, for some reason, they began adopting babies. And this is a quote from Murderpedia, which I thought was really well done. So I'm just going to read it. The babies in this case were the illegitimate sons and daughters of domestic servants and factory girls whose unwanted pregnancies threatened what was already a precarious existence. Wow. End quote. Yeah. So these adoptions meant that King and Pearson would actually receive payment, like I said earlier. If you adopt a child, the mother who can't can't look after the child gives you a lump sum. So they would actually receive payment for taking the babies off their mothers. And adoption for money remained legal until 1930, actually. Oh, Jesus. I know. So this you know, happened quite a bit. Um, and this is called baby farming. Oh, that's such a horrible way of putting I it. I know, it's disgusting. So they did this with three children, and then Jessie obviously had her own child from when she was pregnant with the other man. King would give the babies whiskey to keep them quiet, um, and they, obviously they didn't want these children. They're just drunk layabouts. They don't want to have a family full of babies. They, they don't want this. So to shut them up, she'd give them whiskey and then would murder them. Oh, what? Now, I'm not going to go into the details of how these murders happened because it's gruesome enough as it is. A child, Children are dying. They were all less than a year old, these three children. 
So yeah. I'm, 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 I just, I don't want to tell anyone about the details because it's disgusting. Uh, I feel like, yeah, I, I think that's probably good. Mm. If you do want more details because you're interested in the case, I'm sure you can go look it up. But yeah. I think for the sake of, you know, maintaining my sanity, it's yeah. probably a good idea if you don't. It's just disgusting. I cut quite a few details about the bodies and everything as well because it's just gross. As in, like, the act was gross. Not like, oh, babies are so gross. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh gross, babies. babies. Oh, their little hands. <laughs> oh, they're so creepy. <laughs> oh, good, they're dead. <laughs> oh, God, no, <laughs> Sam. <laughs> okay, moving, moving swiftly onwards. Um, in October of 1888, some young boys are playing in an alley when they find a bundle wrapped in oil skin. I read some accounts that they thought, oh, look at that oil skin. We can make a football out of that. <laughs> and these unsuspecting children go up to this bundle, unwrap the oil skin so they can make their football out of it and find a dead baby. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. So obviously they went to the police. They weren't just going to be like, oh, that's weird. Let's make a football. <laughs> like... this, would make a, this baby would make a terrible football. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, I said terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you it's better still... than the alternative. Gross. Okay. Um, so the authorities were alerted, and Jesse King and Thomas Pearson were immediate suspects, probably because they were just the neighborhood drunks, and they adopt. People knew they were adopting babies or whatever. Um, the house was raided, and another dead baby was found stashed in a closet. Ugh. Another one was found high up on a shelf. Um, so that's three. Three bodies they've got now. I mean, um, those are the pl classic places that you put things that you don't really have a proper place no, for. No, you're forgetting under the bed. Yeah, you don't really have a place for. Like, I put my guitar cases under the bed, but I put, like, the vacuum cleaner in the cupboard. I put, my, like, I put my knitting stuff in the yeah. in the high-up shelf. So I think this sarcasm and sort of <laughs> volatile jokes is how I'm dealing... This is how I'm... Apparently, I'm dealing with the, this, the horrificness of this scenario. So please excuse me. It gets worse. Get ready for oh. more sarcasm from Sam, you guys. Yeah, oh, great. So um, it's important to note that Jessie's own baby, Grace, was fine. She was alive. She's fine. So it's only the adopted babies that they did this to. I don't know why. Maybe because she wouldn't get any money for killing her own baby. I don't know. It's, weird. it's gross. Okay, so she and Pearson were charged with the murder of the three babies, and their names were Sandy Gunn, Violet Thompson, Tomlinson, sorry, and Walter Campbell. And like I said before, all under a year old. Jesus. Now, King confessed to two of the murders... Some some accounts said two, some accounts said all three. I don't really know. But she confessed in any in any case. Now, at the time that this was happening, when they're being locked up, being questioned and stuff, the accused wasn't allowed to make a statement in court that wasn't part of the court proceedings. So the only way that she'd get to put across her side of things is through speaking to the sheriff and making a declaration and then that declaration would Could be, be read out. Yeah, something like that. So she didn't actually get to stand up in court and say anything. I mean, generally speaking, in court proceedings, very few people do. And, like yeah. legal teams are just like, nope, you're going to sit there and do nothing. Yeah. Um, so while King admitted to the murders, she didn't say anything about Pearson. Absolutely anything. Not a word. Well, like she was trying to cover for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pearson, the dick, usually when there's a couple and they both commit crimes together. They either both turn on each other or they both keep quiet or one turns on one and then the other one starts turning as well. But yeah. at the very least, they both start in the same... It pretty much results in them both being in the same position. Exactly. It's either we're both covering for each other or we're both blaming each other. Exactly. But no, the asshole, after she completely covered for him, he turned Queen Queen's evidence, which is the same as turning state's evidence in the, in the United States. And that means that you say, I will testify against this person if I don't get a if penalty. I, if I get immunity. So he ah, the was sneaky fuck. immune. And they had no evidence that he actually did any of it either because she wasn't saying anything. Yeah. Um, the trial only lasted one day. One day. That's Guess how long it took them to deliberate the jury? It's going to be something ridiculous. I don't want to guess in case it's like way lower. Four minutes. Oh my God. I was going to guess like an hour. Four minutes. Four minutes. And they sentence her to death. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not, I'm guessing that there's a twist and you're leaning towards something in particular, but look at the jury mm. from this time period. I think it would take me about four minutes if I was in that jury presented with the evidence of the babies, her saying, yep, just me. And her husband being like, yo, this lady's crazy. Just her boyfriend, but yeah. Oh, sorry. Her boyfriend being like, this lady's crazy. She killed all these babies. 
I didn't know what to do, I'd probably be like, yeah, 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 she's guilty. She killed those babies. So King attempted suicide twice while she was awaiting trial. So she knew she was going down. She was sad about it. Yeah. She was the last woman to be executed in Edinburgh. And this this seems like the end. Just like you said, it seems pretty cut and dry. It's pretty straightforward. But there is evidence to suggest that King was manipulated by Pearson and that she didn't have the mental capacity to carry out this money-making scheme. Okay. Um, so she was definitely desperate when she met Pearson. And although she moved in with him, she went from being a washerwoman to a sex worker. Yeah. So before she moved in with him, she was just a washerwoman. And apparently after they started dating, she became a sex worker. Now, that sounds like him going, hey, can you go make me some more money? Yes. That's what it sounds like to me as yeah. well. So there's possible coercion there. So he definitely had a hold over her. Furthermore, and this is why I'm thinking that the trial shouldn't have gone how it did, because there was physical evidence that okay. showed that oh. Pearson was probably involved. Are you okay. ready? Yeah, go. One of the baby's bodies, the one that I said was on the shelf, the shelf was too high for Jesse King to reach. There is no way she could have reached it. And yes, there are ladders and chairs. There are and whatever, chairs in Scotland. But I'm assuming, because this showed up in literally every article that I read, I'm assuming that they like didn't have a ladder in the home. or nah, like. okay. I, I, I have umbrage with that piece of air quotes evidence. All right. Come on. You know, there's, there's shelves in our flat you can't reach. You get a chair. Are you telling me that they had no chairs... Tables. They were drunkards. Maybe they'd broken them all. I don't know. Maybe I'm they sorry. just sit on the floor and when drink. I, when I'm drunk, all I want to do is sit. That's all I want to do. Maybe on the floor. If I was in a house that had no chairs and I was a drunk, the first thing I'd do with my killing baby making money scheme, with the money I get from that, is buy a fucking chair. Yeah, fair. Still, to me, it seems a bit suspect. Now, I actually have a couple of clips from the documentary that I watched, which go into some of the details which I would like to share with you. Yeah, what's the documentary called? It's called Jesse King Brackets Baby Farmer Crime Documentary. It's just on YouTube and I'm going to put a link in the show notes so oh, everyone fantastic. can go and watch it. Um, so yeah, this is a quote about a uh, about how she prob probably, if she were tried today, she would have diminished responsibility and would not have been sentenced to death. Okay. So here you go. I don't think justice was done. Thomas Pearson was clearly the person who came up with this scheme. I don't think Jessie could have come up with it on her own. I don't think she could have done that much joined up thinking, to be honest. So Thomas Pearson really should have carried some responsibility for this. Don't you just love the accents? I love the Scottish accent. So I wanted to include that, and um, that was Claire Connolly, who is a lawyer. Well, it says advocate, but I think that just means lawyer, right? You can be an advocate for something. I don't know the professional terms enough. I don't know. I know what the word advocate means, but I don't know what it means in like a legal sense. Well, she's an advocate and her name is Claire Connolly. And so that was her opinion on the um, culpability of King. And there's Dr. Louise Yeoman, who's a historian and broadcaster. And she says a little bit more about King's diminished capacity for reason, etc. So in layman's terms, it seems that King was a bit too dumb to come up with all this stuff by herself. Yeah, putting it lightly. Yeah. So here is Dr. Louise Yeoman talking about that. It's my belief that if Jesse King was to be tried for a similar crime today, in what we know about her mental state, her mental impairment, the relationship with Pearson, the controlling and coercive nature of that relationship, that she would certainly have been pleading diminished responsibility to a charge of murder. So what do you reckon? Um, I don't know, I'm kind of siding with you. I think, I think there's, I, I'm not gonna sit here and say she did, he did everything. No, of course not. But absolutely, I think if she has, if she is like renowned for having such diminished capacity and diminished level of sort of mental capabilities, there's no way she could have come up with this and done it. That being said, she could have seen someone else do it. And also, let's be honest, the babies weren't hidden very well. No. So, I mean, that sounds like the sort of thing someone with diminished capabilities would do. Yeah. But, again, it would be a very different case if it was tried today. Oh, absolutely. Now, I do have a snippet of good news to end this uh, case with. Okay. So Good. <laughs> so, Dr. Louise Yeoman is saying how she thinks that justice wasn't served. Well... 
Here she is again, telling you how justice was served. He's dead of a head injury. He's dead of a fractured skull. Now, the inquest said it was accidental, but I wonder. I mean, elderly alcoholics do fall down, but people who murder babies, I think they might get a crack over the head from somebody. I love that. Right? I said, like, <laughs> just dirt, like, dangerous alcoholics do tend to fall down, but I think baby killers gets what's coming to him. <laughs> a crack said, oh, over the crack head. Crack over the head. <laughs> so he was found dead in an alley with a fractured skull. Good. And I'm pretty sure the police... He's dead! He's, He's dead. dead with a fractured skull! <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that even if there was evidence that this was done by someone who just hated him for the crimes, the police probably just saw it and went, good. <laughs> and then just said, oh, it was an accident. So they didn't have to look into it. Yeah, Just fair. like, good. Yeah, he's dead. It's like how when paedophiles get murdered in prison, people are just like, oh no. <laughs> which is like, oh. which is brutal because it's like, there's a, there's a weird like relationship with people and paedophiles getting killed in prison because it's so common for child murderers and paedophiles to get like attacked in prison. And you know, on the one hand, they're saying like justice, the justice system has decided their punishment and they are serving it. Mm. So it, we shouldn't be celebrating when this person gets stabbed because logically based on the justice system, the penalty should fit the crime. So we should be as happy when a guy who committed like, you know, he's, he's in jail for dealing marijuana to some fucking students. Mm. It should be the same reaction, but it just isn't. Because there's such an emotional connection to it. It's babies, it's children, it's vulnerable people. And it's just disgusting. It's so, I so think, horrible. I think the emotional reaction is why we're like, kill him. Yeah. And like, well, for me at least, that's why yeah. I'm sort of pleased that he had a crack over the head. A crack over the head. Um, so that's my case. Fantastic. Yeah, that was a really interesting case. Jesse King. I liked the little twist. Mm, the yeah. little twist. That it's was not interesting. Just, there are quite a few baby farmer cases, but I thought this one was especially interesting because y we don't know. We don't actually know what happened. It wasn't a cut and dry case of her being a monster. She could have been a vulnerable, manipulated woman who was drunk all the time, being coerced into sex work and heavily pregnant when she first met him anyway, which makes you obviously more emotional and more dependent. So, yeah. Um, before you do your case, shall we do a little, should we do a little promo? Yeah, let's do a little promo. So, All Crime No Cattle is an amazing podcast. It's Texas True Crime. And you've heard, you've heard it, haven't you? You Don't you just love their accents? I absolutely love their accents. And they're, they're a married couple. So, like us in, what, nine years time? Couple and in, goals. And in Texas. And yeah, it, absolute couple goals, mate. They, they're amazing. And here is a little promo for them. Hi, True Crime fans. I'm Erin. And I'm Shay. We host All Crime, No Cattle, a conversational podcast which focuses on true crime stories from the Lone Star State. We strive to bring you a balanced and well-researched story about Texas cases big and small. We do the research so you don't have to. We also end every episode with a good news story, just to remind everyone that real life isn't quite as depressing as true crime can make it out to be. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All crime, no cattle, because crime is bigger in Texas, y'all. Yeah, so definitely go out and check out All Crime, No Cattle. Um, they're a fantastic podcast, and also we have a special connection because we're both couples that love... Ooh. Couples that crime together. <laughs> yeah, there, there it is. Right, so I think it's about time I get into my story. Do it. So, my guy is named Fritz Harmon. Which I have heard. You, I, I remember saying, because basically, just so you know, in case you were wondering, the, 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 the amount of information that Lux and I tell each other about our own cases before the podcast is very minimal. It's literally the it, name, have you heard of this person? Yeah, How much do you know about pretty it? Pretty much always the name and mine's really dark. Can your light one go last? Yeah, exactly. Sort of thing, you know? That's literally all we know. Um, so when Sam said to me, Fritz Harmon, I was like, I, I know him. I know it. And I've definitely listened to a podcast about him before. Um, but I don't know what he did. I'm really shit with names. I cannot connect the killer to the crimes. Yeah. And so. it, also, it also helps because it means if you tell me the name in my research, I won't hap stumble across it and read it. Mm, yeah. You know, I can go like, oh, that's Lux's one. I'll avoid that. Yeah. So he was a brutal German serial killer. He was active between 1918 and 1924, mm -hmm. uh, just after World War I. Uh, I've got a couple of content warnings. Uh, it has uh, great... Uh, Grapes? <laughs> no, not grapes. Oh my gosh. No, it has rape, which is far less fun than grapes. Yeah, grapes. Grapes um, are uh, slightly more palatable. <laughs> oh my God. 
I mean, yeah, to be honest, I don't I haven't heard anyone describe rape as palatable. Anyway, oh, uh, it has graphic and bloody violence. Okay. Thought you said yours was going to be light because I just did baby deaths. <laughs> I mean, as light as a murder podcast can be. Fair. Fair point. So, uh, I am playing the game as well. Ooh. God damn, I need to make a jingle. I'm going to make a jingle. I'm I don't have a lot of time at the moment, but I'm going to make a jingle. And please suggest your names if you have names for the games. If you have a name for this game, please tell us. Otherwise, we're just going to make it up on our own, and that's no fun. Yeah, it'll be shit. Um, so, here's my two big hitters. <laughs> Henry Lee Lucas. Oh, yeah. And John Wayne Gacy. So, Gacy is a boy-loving body stasher. Uh, you're half right. Body stasher. Boy-loving. Boy-loving, okay. And then... Henry Lee Lucas went around with Otis Tool and they targeted sex workers and they had a young girl who was like wifey. I can't remember much more about their crimes because I'm really bad with names. Basically, he they, he was uh, a gay man, same as John Wayne Gacy, and also he had a partner in crime, air quotes. Right. It's very debatable how much this partner actually had. And Otis, Otis Tool is the one who cross-dressed. Yes. Right, yeah. Otis Tool is the giant... And didn't... Oh, didn't... Wait, Henry Lee Lucas had that, um, he had the dad with no legs who sold pencils, who we've talked yep. about before, he also and he had, was forced to watch his mum, yeah. who was a sex worker. He also had one eye, no teeth, and a horrible face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> Fritz Harmon is actually quite a, quite a, quite a... Oh, is he a looker? <laughs> he's a lady killer. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> even though it was boys. So, let's get into his early life. Uh, right. He was born in Hanover on the 25th of October, 1879. He was the youngest of six siblings. Okay. He was a very quiet child, uh, really didn't have a lot of friends other than his siblings. He was noticed as being very effeminate. He was very effeminate. He didn't like traditional boys' games or toys, mm -hmm. but he preferred to play with his sister's dolls and dress in his sister's clothing. Okay. Uh, he had a passion for needlework. Oh, bless him. I know, bless his little socks. And cooking. Uh, oh, he sounds like the perfect husband. I know, he's a, what, a gay man? A hus no, husband <laughs> to another man. Obviously not for me. You're yeah, my perfect husband, boo. Oh, stop it. <laughs> what? Stop it. I'm not a big fan of needlework, but I love cooking. Mm -hmm. um, it's assumed he fell in love with this because of his mother. He was very close to his mother. Oh, oh is he a oh, big he mummy's his boy? Mother. Bit, a bit of gain, but it's not quite as bad. Right. His childhood doesn't seem that bad. Okay. It seems pretty okay. Um... He was very close with his mother. She would spoil her youngest son all the time, mm -hmm. which I'm sure made his siblings super jealous. Yeah, probs. Like she kind of gave him loads of stuff and not his siblings. So little Fritz would be like, Oof, Massa, would I be able to have another delicious slice of your chocolate cake? <laughs> and she'd be all like, Oh, yeah, my little child eats the chocolate cake. Chocolate cake. Mama wants you nice and plump. <laughs> Dank, like a little cherub. Yeah, danke, Mama. <laughs> And then his siblings would be like, Mother, can we have some of that delicious chocolate cake? And she'd be like, Nine! <laughs> um, sorry, I just had a little play in my head. Nine, Fraulein! I could just picture this row of siblings and the fat kid at the front just eating all the chocolate <laughs> and the children like, like a sort of weird German Oliver twist where yeah, they're just yeah. like, Please, Mother, some more. And she's just like, Nine, nine! Um, anyway. Nine, nine! Nine, nine. <laughs> nice. Love that they're getting um, picked up by NBC. Yes, very happy Brooklyn Nine-Nine is sticking around. Um, so, anyway, uh, Harmon's father was a bit of a player, which uh, also, in this sense, and in most senses, means he's a massive asshole. Mm -hmm. um, he married Fritz's mother purely because she had a massive <laughs> dowry. Yeah. Um, he was known to be really argumentative and very short-tempered. Mm. He would have many many affairs while he was married mm. uh, which left him with a pissed off wife and also syphilis oh really which also leads you with a pissed off wife <laughs> um, regardless oh, of all this oh did he give it to his wife I'm almost certain he Gosh. did regardless of this they would stay together until Fritz's mother died in 1901 of anyway, syphilis they just stayed a bit. I, it doesn't say but I, yeah probably yeah. Um, but like, before that it's not bad enough that he's cheating on her he's also giving her diseases yeah you know, it's ridiculous. You know, if I what go a out, dick. you know, if I go out and I don't know, kill a pigeon, I don't bring it home. <laughs> <laughs> um, before that, in 1886, when Fritz was seven, he began to go into school. His teachers described him as a spoilt child, oh. prone to daydreaming, who hadn't really been exposed to the outside world. Uh, at my school, when I was younger, we used to call these people cotton wool. Really? Because yeah, they're, like, they're wrapped in cotton wool. They're wrapped in cotton wool. They just—they're mm. they're, not—they're not, 
able to deal with the outside world because they've never been exposed to it. Yeah. Just people who are sort of just walking around have no idea. So those people who you go to uni with and you're in a flat share and they're just like, how does the dishwasher work? And it's like, oh yeah. Oh, we had one of those in my house. Oh, bitch. Oh, she was annoying. Oh man, just people who kind of like have never been exposed to doing anything for themselves. It's very difficult. And I mean, to be honest, it's borderline child abuse. Mm. Like you're holding your child back from learning anything so about the world. So you can mother them because you need that. Yeah, super weird. Uh, so until this point, it's been relatively mundane, quite happy. Uh, but unfortunately at age eight, Fritz was molested by one of his teachers. Mm. This clearly affected him a lot because uh, he refuses to discuss this in detail. Is it all. a male or female teacher? Do we uh, it literally doesn't say. He Often this happens with serial killers. Um, a really formative event will make them like refuse to talk about anything. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's just not on board with talking about it at all. He doesn't want to. I mean, fair enough. Um, so Fritz was not the uh, tastiest crayon in the tool shed. Uh, so he had to repeat a couple of years. Mixing your metaphors there. Yeah, I love it. Deal with it. You got, you know what I was saying. Everyone knew what I was saying. Um, you know, he wasn't the sharpest sandwich in the pencil case. But he finished his schooling in, 19, in 1894, sorry. Uh, he had to be held back a couple of years when he was 15. I okay. believe most finished at like 12 or 13. Uh, he was a not a lot of schooling, is it? No, not a lot. Well, that was the only level of mandatory. Like, university existed. Um, that was the only mandatory level yeah, of Yeah, but it's not a lot of mandatory schooling, is it? Yeah, no, it isn't. Uh, he was a strong boy, so he enrolled in a... Strong boy! He was a big, strong boy because of all that pudding. <laughs> um, he enrolled in a military academy in uh, 1895. Yeah, Classic. exactly. For the first few months, Harmon was all good. He performed really well. Um... But after this time, he began to suffer random lapses of consciousness, hmm. which would eventually be diagnosed as the equivalent to epilepsy. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't really know what that means. It means epilepsy. Surely he just had epilepsy. I wouldn't know I'm not the equivalent of a doctor. <laughs> nice. Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you. He was discharged from the military and began to work in his father's cigar factory. Uh, at 16, Harmon... Actually, sorry. Sidetrack. Mm -hmm. I just want to say this joke. My, gran my grandfather is um, a very, like, sort of... Is this Grand Tim? Yes, yeah, my Grand Tim. We all call him Grand Tim. His name's Tim. He's, he's my granddad. He never wanted to be called Grand Tim. He never wanted to be called Granddad. He once went to Cuba, and my dad said, can you bring me back some cigars that were rolled on the thighs of virgins? Like as a joke. And my granddad bought him back some cigars, and my dad was like, were they rolled on the thighs of virgins? And my, my granddad, he's like a very restrained, respectable... He's very, you yeah. know... He, on fir in first meeting him, you'd think he was quite like uptight. You'd be weird. Yeah. You'd be you'd feel weird swearing around him. He, uh, my dad was like, "Well, this rolled on the thighs of virgins," and my gran and Grantin was like, "I don't know, but the guy who sold me, who sold them to me, was ugly enough to be one." <laughs> How good is that? It was such a great fucking line. I, be I bet he was thinking about that the whole way on the flight home. Um, Even still, yeah, I'd be proud. Anyway, a little story about my granddad and cigars. Um, so at sixteen, Har Harmon committed his first sexual offences. Uh, all of these involved young boys. How young are we talking? We are talking prepubescent or just mm. teens. Um, he would lure younger boys to secluded areas and would sexually abuse them. He was first arrested for committing these offences in July 18, 1896. But after several other arrests for similar crimes, he was placed in a mental institution in 1897. I think some of this case is coming back to me. Does he ever jack off? In front of boys. No. Okay, I'm thinking of I think you're thinking else. of Dharma. Mm -mm. Dharma did that a lot. Nope, I'm thinking of somebody else. Dharma just loved getting it out in Because it wasn't in, in America. Oh, okay. This one that I'm Fair thinking enough. of. Um, he had a psychological evaluation there and was certified as being incurably, incurably deranged. Well, that's quite vague, isn't it? Yeah, it also, it sounds strong. But like that being said, this is the 1890s. That was probably just what, from wanting to wear women's clothes. Oh, God, yeah. Like, come on. Um... His doctor, Gert Schmalfus. Gert Schmalfus? Gert Schmalfus said that Fritz was unfit to stand trial and ordered him to be held in a mental institution indefinitely. Jesus, that's pretty harsh. Pretty intense, yeah. Uh, it turned out that indefinitely meant like a couple of months. Oh, wow, uh, okay. Well, no, not because he was let out. He escaped. Oh, yeah. okay. He escaped to Zurich in Switzerland mm -hmm. uh, with the assistance of his mother. And um, she's just like, go, little Fritz, go. I've baked, I've, I've brought you some chocolate cake for the journey. A little snack. <laughs> A little snacksum. Um, 
So yeah, he lived there with a relative for over a year. Mm -hmm. uh, he returned to Hanover in 1899 because apparently like 16 months is enough time for people to forget you're too insane to not be in a mental institution forever. Yeah, like why would you go back, man? He just did. And apparently... Did he miss his mummy too much? Probably, yeah. Uh, early in the following year, in 1900... Woo, new century. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, he became engaged to a woman named Erna Lowert. Or Erna Lowert. A woman is the bit I would be surprised about. He got engaged to a woman. Nope, I'm not surprised at all because a lot of serial killers who are interested in men tend to go, how can I make my life more normal yeah, so I can fair. just keep doing my man loving? Yeah, true. Uh, but he 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 did a he did a he did some woman loving at least once because oh, he got he? her pregnant. Oh, okay. Well, um, to be fair, who's that serial killer who like jacked off on his fingers and then shoved them up his wife because he didn't like? That's sex? true. That was Andre Chikatilo. Yep. Yeah, that's super gross. Yep. But yeah, I imagine he was he was definitely gay. So I imagine he was just like, oof, Erna, I love your sexy boobs. It's like in short, <laughs> I love having sex with you, especially in your. Vagina. It's like in Brooklyn Nine-Nine when Captain Holt pretends to be straight and he's like, she has an ample bosom. <laughs> you know I can't control myself when presented with those ample breasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, yeah, that's how I imagine it was. Um, also, second Brooklyn Nine-Nine reference, we really like the show. We do indeed. Um, after what I'm sure was a very healthy engagement, uh, Fritz would be unable to marry Erna as he was notified he had to perform his compulsory military service. I thought he got discharged, though. Yeah, he got discharged. Then he had to do it compulsively. Then he went to a mental institution. And then he got official documents from his name, from the military, who knew he went to a mental institution, just going like, yeah, you need to come back to war, even though we discharged you and you're insane. What? Yeah, this will happen like twice. It's ridiculous. Um, he was sent to serve in the number 10 rifle battalion. 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 He earned a reputation as being an incredible soldier and an outstanding marksman. Okay. He described this time as the happiest time of his life. Oh, bless him. Uh, but it came to an end when he began to suffer dizzy spells and was hospitalized for four months. He was deemed unfit for military service and discharged again in 1902. He began working for his father again, but in 1903 they would have a massive fight, uh, which would be taken to court. Where oh, Fritz's wow. father, Yeah, where Fritz's father demanded that his son was sent back to the psychiatric hospital. Fuck. Yeah. Fritz, Thanks a lot, Dad. Yeah, I know, right? Fritz underwent a psychiatric exam, and this time another doctor said, quote, I love this quote. Although morally inferior, Harmon is not mentally unstable. Morally inferior. Al although morally inferior. Uh, I yeah. mean, fair enough. There are some people who are just arseholes. It doesn't mean yeah. they're mentally deranged. But I love how that was like a little jab. Just like, yeah, although I, morally I, inferior. I can't send you back to the institution, so I'll just tell you you're a bit of a dick. Uh, he wasn't sent back. So Fritz, with his father's financial help, opened up a fishmonger business. So wait, his dad wanted him to go to back to a mental hospital, which is a huge like fuck you, and then he pays for him to do a fishmongering business. Well, I, I like I assume that he couldn't get rid of his son with the justice system, so he sort of just threw money at him until he left. Oh, okay, maybe. Like I mean, it gets him out of the business, I guess, because uh, the, the the lawsuit was to do with the business. Mm. Uh, in 1904, but I love this. Uh, Erna left Fritz. Uh, the final straw, according to Fritz, being that he accused her of having an affair with a student, and she really didn't like that. Unfortunately for him, because he was obviously a dumb shit, uh, the fishmonger business was uh, registered in Erna's name. So she all she had to do was order him to leave the, pres the, uh, the premises, and he legally had to. Oh my god. So she was just like, I'm leaving you. You're a monster. I have your entire business. Get out. Legally, you have to. Wow. I mean, kudos to her. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, like, Again, out of context, all of these things sound pretty brutal, but in context... In context, you're like, yeah, This guy's probably the worst dude. Also, when we're doing our horrific German accents, put that in context too, because he is a murderer. Yeah, he is a murderer. So we're not making fun of anyone that... Technically, I'm not mocking Germany. I'm mocking a German. One German. Exactly. Exactly. And if you're defending him, you're defending a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> Won that hypothetical argument. <laughs> so, with nothing left except his military pension, which was not a lot... Um, Fritz spent the next 10 years living as a petty thief and con artist. He would get Yeah, he would get jobs and steal from his employers Again, and run off. Again, just tick, tick, tick on the serial killer yeah, checklist. Yeah, everything. Mm -hmm. Thieving, sexual uh, joining abuse, the military, sexual abuse. Really weird relationship with mother. Very weird relationship with mother. All that chocolate cake. <laughs> oh my God. It's like the beginning scene of Matilda. Oh my God. She's just like, eat. oh my God, that's a fat little German kid. Yeah, that is a fat little... Oh my God, that fat little German kid is Fritz. 
I got too much chocolate cake. That's probably why it came to me. Oh my god. What's his name? Like Bruce or something? No, his name's probably something very German. Let me Google it. You're gonna Google it? Yeah, you Google that. You get back to me. Well, I just typed in Bruce Matilda because I think I am right. But our internet's very slow. What was the what was the fat chickadee love chocolate from Oh my god, there are so many fat Germans in Roald Dahl books. Are there? There's one in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh my god, there was! And that fat German kid loved chocolate as well. His name was Bruce. Bruce Bogtrotter. Yeah. Bruce. Bruce, Bruce Bogtrotter Bruce, and Bruce. Augustus Gloop. Yeah. Both Augustus fat, Gloop. Li fat little greedy German kids. Jesus Christ. I don't think he was German. Yeah, definitely. Come on. No. No? No. Right, Googling well it. Oh my God, again? Oh no, okay, you might be right. I think I'm mixing up Augustus Gloop and I think Bruce you are. Bogtrotter. Mm. Yeah, you're probably right. I told you. By the way, just just this. I might put this in in post and just put this <laughs> put the recording in. But Lux just found the clip <laughs> of the kid eating all the chocolate cake. Yeah. Smells chocolatey, eh? Now, eat it. I don't want any. Thank you. No, oh, it's making me hungry, man. It's that scene is making you hungry. That scene makes me never want to eat again. No, I want I want some of that I want some of that chocolate some cake. Of the chocolate cake, Jesus Christ! Right. Anyway, uh, between nine so back to Fritz. Oh yeah. Um, another little cake loving fat German. Um, between nineteen oh five when he was twenty six and nineteen twelve when he was thirty four, he would serve a number of prison sentences for loads of crimes, mm -hmm. uh, like larceny, stealing, assault, like a long list of crimes. He was in prison for a lot of time. Uh, he told one co-worker at one of his jobs that he would rob grave tombs to make money. Ew. Yeah. So, as so he is morally inferior. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but we knew that already. Oh, I know. As the First World War started a few years later, Fritz was in poverty. Uh, the German people had very little money and manpower, generally, within their country. So the police were willing to get help, like, wherever they could get it. And Fritz took advantage of this. Uh, despite the fact that he was a criminal and also a known homosexual, which at the time was illegal and punishable by prison. Mm. Uh, he developed a relationship with the Hanover police as an informer. He mainly used this as a way to steal and commit crimes without really being bothered by the police. Right. Because he could turn them away and also they'd let him go a little bit. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, one of the website I was looking at describes as facilitate his access to young males. Oh, gross. Essentially, it means he could shag dudes without being arrested. Oh, what? Like, no amount of informant info warrants that. I'm no, he was, I was... No, no, no. Just to clarify, he was allowed to have sex freely as a, as a homosexual oh, you, man. Oh, I, I thought you were saying he was, like, shagging young boys and the police were turning a blind eye because he was giving them information. Well, he was doing that too. But, like, he was also able to have sex with men. Okay, so he was just able to be his, his own so gay self. Right. It's a good thing given to a bad person. Right. Uh, he became very, very trusted by the police and he was pretty much allowed to like patrol around the police station like as much as he wanted. Wow. Yeah. And he also did like citizens arrests oh, I love and stuff. That. Yeah, I know. It's so funny. Right. Now we're going to get onto the crazy stuff. Okay. Uh, in 1918, a 17 year old runaway named Friedel Roth would disappear. Roth's friends would tell the police he was last seen with Harmon. Okay. The police who relied on Harmon for information didn't really want to investigate it. But under pressure from the Roth family, they raided his single room flat. They found Harmon in there with a semi-naked 13-year-old boy. So not the 17-year-old that went missing? No, not the 17-year-old oh, that went missing. Fritz was arrested and charged with sexual assault and battery of a minor and was sentenced to nine months in prison. I'm sorry? Nine months? Yes. Although, just to clarify, I don't believe the kid was like really badly hurt. Uh, Harmon would later state that had the detectives spent more time searching his flat, they would be found behind the stove, wrapped in newspaper, the head of Friedel no. Roth. Yeah. He decapitated him. Decapitated him. A little while later. So this is it. That, that case, I, I singled that case out because it's quite important. Mm. Uh, a little while later, Fritz met an 18-year-old boy named Hans Granz. Oh, Hans Granz. Hans Granz. Uh, Fritz took him into his home and they began a relationship together. Uh, I wouldn't start to feel super sorry for Hans Granz. Because it turns out he would become Fritz's criminal accomplice. Oh, like a Dean Coral type thing. Like an artist tool. Mm -hmm. um, although it's very odd about how much, how involved he was. But given the fact that they lived together in several apartments that were all like one room, mm. I think he was involved. Probably At the very a, least, he knew it. Exactly, yeah. So accessory or also failure Han to report. Yeah. Also, Hans Granz was manipulative and like a mocking person. And the couple would be evicted from a bunch of places due to their heated arguments. Really? So he would just, what, mock 
Fritz. Yeah, they had a really difficult relationship together. Uh, eventually, he and Hans Granz moved into eight new Strauss, which is a road. Cool. In 1921. Now, between this year, 1921, and 1924, Harmon would commit a minimum of 23 murders. In one year? In two years. No, yeah, two years. No, three years. Three years, 23 murders. Yeah. Busy boy. I know, right? Well, minimum. All of the victims are, were aged between 10 and 22. The victims would be lured... 10? Yeah. Jesus. The victims would be lured back to the Harmon's residence on the promise of work, accommodation, assistance, or in some other cases, fear as arrest because Harmon was obviously a police informant. The victims would typically be given food or drink. Now, guys, it gets it gets a little bit graphic here. Harmon would then bite into the victim's Adam's apple. Oh. Yeah, it's really bad. That makes me feel really sick. Yeah. In some cases, this would cause the victim to die of asphyxiation, and sometimes he would completely bite through the Adam's apple and the trachea. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. It, it, it get, that's, that's the really bad bit, okay? Okay. That's out of the way. And now we're just going to get to their murders. Yeah. <laughs> Harmon so referred to yeah. Harmon referred to this ritualistic process as his love bite. Uh. Yeah. Some victims were also known to be stabbed multiple times. All of his victims would then be dismembered and discarded in a lake normally or sometimes buried so underground. when did he have sex with them? Uh, while they were alive. Okay, so he was never a necrophiliac. Uh, there's no evidence that he was a necrophiliac. Also, there's a lot of rumors that he was a cannibal, but again, no physical evidence okay. of that. The victim's possessions would generally be kept by Harmon or Hans Granz, and they'll be sold to fences Harmon knew through his thieving connections. What's fences? A fence is someone who buys stolen property okay. and then resells it. Okay. Uh, in several cases, the victim's possessions would be given to the couple's friends as gifts. Can you yeah. imagine? Like, thank you for inviting me to your housewarming party. Here's a nice wallet. <laughs> Ignores the ID. Yeah. <laughs> that is me. Look how much I've changed. And my name. <laughs> and I've gotten younger. So on the 17th of May, 1924. So basically, I wanted to brush over this, the, the murders. I'm sorry. There are full lists of the victims' names. Basically, they were all killed in very similar ways. They were all lured to the same place. And there's no point just reliving the graphic details over and no, over. They're it's, horrible. It's ritualistic almost. It's mm. very, very similar. So... In 1924, two children were playing near the Lien River when they discovered a human skull. Ooh, that's literally Marcus Parks' dream. Yeah, finding a bunch of bones. Yeah. It was identified as a young male between 18 and 20 with signs of knife wounds. In the skull? In Ooh. the skull. Police were skeptical that this was a murder. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, a decapitated head covered in knife wounds. It, no, this isn't a murder. They, uh, they thought it had been discarded here by grave robbers or left here as a hilarious prank by medical students. Okay, now this case is coming back to me. Because I remember this detail and I remember being really like, what do you mean like a like, prank? Like why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, but then they couldn't really ignore a couple of other things because two weeks later, a second skull was found on the ground very close to the scene of the first skull. Mm -hmm. Also a young male between 18 and 20. Also knife wounds. How could they tell it was male from the skull was it the brow bone because i yeah, know that that changes they, the, the brow bone changes there's also like development of the brain inside the skull because at that age you still haven't grown to your full height your yeah, head and is I still not as big tend to be more pronounced yeah. with men. there were lots of different ways um i'm not the equivalent of a coroner <laughs> then merely days after that two more boys playing in a field discovered a sack containing numerous human bones these poor boys they're just trying to have a, it's all these fucking kids running play. around finding bones this is crazy where are the mothers <laughs> Um, again, two more skulls were found on the 13th of June in the Lien River. Another was found near a mill in West Hanover. Every single skull had been removed with a sharp instrument. All young men, several had evidence that they had been scalped, as in had their hair had on the top of their head removed. Oh, no, no, scalped means the skin from the top of your head has been removed. Yeah, the skin and the hair. Yeah, because hair, that's just that's just a trip to the barbers, isn't it? Yeah, scalped is a bit more severe. It's not horrific. <laughs> So on June 8th, several hundred Hanover residents searched both the banks of the river, Good on them. finding a great number of human bones. In response to this, the police decided to drag the entire section with a net. Mm. And they found more than 500 bones and body parts. Jesus. Belonging to at least 22 separate human beings, many bearing knife wounds, many having signs of being deliberately dissected. Jesus Christ, that must have been... That's literally something out of like a horror movie. Literally, yes. Because of this, suspicion fell pretty quickly on Harmon. 
who was known for, to be a homosexual who had collected 15 fucking convictions for offences including child molestation, sexual assault and battery of a minor. Yeah, you find bones of young boys and you look at the like, young boy The young boy offender, offender yeah. 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 Uh, also, most pertinently, he had been connected to the disappearance of Friedel Roth. Remember? Oh, yeah. yeah he had yeah, been yeah. searched. So he was placed under surveillance. Okay. On June 22nd, 1924, Harmon was observed by two undercover officers arguing with a 15-year-old boy named Carl Fromm. And mm-hmm. I was like, Carl from where? <laughs> and I realized, I'm, invest- I'm doing a murder. I should stop. Oh. <laughs> I mean, ap- I still enjoyed yeah. that. He then approached some non-undercover officers and demanded that they arrest this boy under the charge of travelling with forged documents. Upon his arrest, Fromm informed the police he had been living with Harmon and Hans Granz for four days. He had been raped multiple times, sometimes with a knife held to his throat. Oh my God. Harmon was arrested the next morning and charged with sexual assault. Harmon's flat was searched after this arrest. The walls, curtains, flooring and bedding were all covered in blood. Again, how the fuck could Hans Grans be like, no, no problem here. I see no problems here. The wall, I love the color. It's lovely. It's blood. No, it's not. It's a gay thing. <laughs> it's a gay thing. We just paint this. It's a trend. Things. It's modern art. <laughs> um, Howman tried to explain this by saying he'd been trading illegal meat. Right. Yeah. After questioning the neighbors, the tenants commented about the number of teenage boys they had seen while he was living there. Some had also asked. Some had also seen him leaving his flat with concealed sacks, bags, or baskets in the late evening. This is all very suspicious. And or very you'd early think morning. that as soon as the bones got dredged up from the river, you'd be like, "This guy." Yeah. You know. Uh, most interestingly, two former tenants from an old house had discreetly followed Fritz and saw him discard one of these sacks in the Lien River. Oh my God! Why didn't they go to the police sooner? No idea. <sighs> Clothes and possessions of the victims were found in Fritz's flat. They were all confiscated and displayed at the police station. Parents with missing missing teenagers came from all over Germany to try to identify these items. God, that must have been horrible. I know. Many of these were identified as belonging to certain boys, but this was still circumstantial, as mainly they were clothes, and clothes manufacturers tend to make more than one of everything. And also, that just proves the boys were there and were undressed at one point. It could have been consensual. Yeah. It could have been... It doesn't even do that. It could have been they went swimming or There was no you know? DNA evidence yeah. on the clothes. Well, I mean, there must have been there. There was DNA on the clever, uh, on the clothes, but, it's but the, nothing. What they could 1920s? Link. Exactly. Yeah, they don't have a full. They don't have enough DNA at this point. Mm. The big hit came on the 29th of June when clothes, boots, and most damning keys were found in the flat and were identified as belonging to a missing 18-year-old named Robert Witzel. The keys is smart. The keys is smart. It matches the lock. Things mm-hmm. like that. But the main lock, the main thing. So. The keys allowed them to identify that the clothing and things belonged to Robert Witzel. Mm-hmm. But one of the skulls had actually been identified as Witzel. Oh, how, do you know how? They obviously just somehow identified it. Some of the bodies were less decomposed than others. Oh, yeah. Uh, some, you'll find out soon All right. why they were so difficult to identify. So confronted with this information, uh, Fritz completely broke down crying and he confessed. Classic! Uh, what pussy! Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally joking. Yeah. He confessed to raping, killing, and dismembering many men. He described this as a rabid sexual passion. He claims he never meant to murder any of the victims, but he had this irresistible urge to bite into or through their Adam's apple. What? And I kind of understand this. Now, I believe he definitely meant to kill many of his later victims as he began to like enjoy the process. Mm. But I believe the first couple of times must have come from this like podophilia, this obsession with one body part and biting it okay that's got to be how it started because that's like a ritualistic thing he did that for almost every victim or if i'm not mistaken every but victim at the same time though people with foot fetishes don't go and chew your foot off do they <laughs> why doesn't he just like give a little kiss a little kiss on the adam's apple no you know? but i'm just saying his obsession was biting it like that i i, I understand how that began the the killing and at first he didn't want to have to kill them but he had to and then he started to enjoy it right I'm not saying he had a normal fetish no, no, and then no. it got out of hand. I just thought you were saying he had a fetish for the Adam's apple and I was alluding to the yeah. foot thing and saying, well, that doesn't mean you kill someone. Yeah. You, know? you don't have to bite it off. Uh, I think his fetish was biting it off. Uh, he claimed he found the dismembering very unpleasant. Uh, he still retained that, quote, the passion of the moment of murder was invariably stronger than the horror of the cutting and chopping. Oh, poor baby. You had yeah, to dismember guy. your... Oh, no. This, is, this little bit here is pretty brutal. 
Okay. Another really brutal bit. So I'm prepped. Forewarned. Uh, he would drink a strong black coffee, break the shoulder joints and other bones, and then begin to pare the bones, removing all the skin and flesh. The head was the final thing to be severed. After it was removed from the body, he would remove all the flesh from the skull. He would then wrap it in rags and hit it with an axe until he had access to the brain. That's it. I promise. I promise. That's the horrible bit out of the way. I tend to have quite a strong stomach for murder, but when it comes to like details of, of flesh... Yeah, I'm sorry. I find skin like so gross. That word is really triggering. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's the horrible bit out of the way. Okay. okay? That's the horrible bit out of the way. Uh, Harmon's trial. Let's get to the trial. Literally, can I just say, earlier you were clicking, you were showing me how you can click your ankle and that made me want to throw up because yeah. I don't like joints. Yeah. So, oh, the, shoulder, ticked, the shoulder joints Yeah, that ticked thing. all your boxes for just really weird mm. bits, triggering. Right, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I, if, if, <laughs> if there was anyone who skipped that bit, now's the time to rejoin. Welcome back. Hi, guys. Harmon's trial was the first major modern media sensation and had extensive press coverage. He was given names like the Butcher of Hanover, the Vampire of Hanover, and my favourite, Wolfman. Why? I don't know. <laughs> was he like super hairy? Yeah, I don't know. No, he wasn't hairy. He just Is Wolf a gay term that's like evolved out of our, of our language? No idea. He was the Wolfman. <laughs> oh, I love uh, that. Basically, the trial was super long. I'm not really going to go into it, but it's actually pretty interesting legally. The case presented against him is like really meticulous, very German in terms of its attention to detail, just yeah. to clarify. Um, Harmon was sentenced to death for the murder of 24 of the 27 murders he was charged with. Yeah, boy, kill it. Kill it with fire. Hans Granz was also charged, but due to the huge lack of evidence and the haziness of like how involved he was, mm. he was sentenced for 12 months in prison. Did the boy who went to the police and said he was kept there for four days, not have anything to say about Harmon's. I, I don't believe he said anything. Okay. This was for being a party to one of Harmon's murders. That's it. Right. Harmon made no appeal to the verdict and he said his death would atone for his crimes. And he strongly stated that if he were free, he would kill again. Well, at least he's honest. Yeah. So on the 15th of April, 1925, aged 46, Harmon was informed that he was going to die that day. Apparently, it's a German tradition in terms of the death penalty that you are not told when it's going to be until the day. Wow. Why do you think that is? So they don't kill themselves. That's such... I think that would be quite torturous because be you'd horrible. wake up every day and be like, am I dying? Yeah. I don't, should, I, should I get this book out of the library? Will I even have time to read it? Should I have my final wank now? <laughs> you, you just don't know. So um, he observed a prayer with his pastor and was granted his final wishes of having an expensive cigar and a Brazilian coffee to drink in his cell. Harmon's last words are pretty intense. He goes, I am guilty, gentlemen, but hard as though it may be, I want to die a man. I repent, but I do not fear death. He was then beheaded by guillotine. Yeesh, that must have been a spectacle. That speech and then just boosh. His true number of victims may never be known. Uh, Harmon believes it is between 30 and 40, but other evidence suggests it could be as high as 70. That's Fritz Harmon. Weren't my, those some pretty badass last words? I know, but my eye roll right now is just too... <laughs> I wish you could capture eye roll on voices. Audio! Why are you eye rolling? Just like another classic, like, dickhole shitbag doing the whole Jeffrey Dahmer like, oh, I didn't like the killing of them, I just had to do it. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah just, very, uh, very Ted Bundy, very Dahmer. It's just like, shut the fuck up. We 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 see through your bullshit. Like just, yeah. I'm not gonna feel sorry for you because you had to do the killer. Just like, just don't kill. Yeah, just the don't vast do it. the vast majority of serial killers, all the, however much they lie to themselves, are just hedonist assholes who want to kill. Ugh. Well, good case though. Interesting. Yeah, I think it was really interesting. It's and a very interesting. I'm case. I'm quite glad that I forgot most of the details because the only one that actually stuck with me was the um, lake thing. The people, the by the river. Sorry. Yeah. The police well, thinking it yeah. was a prank. It was a lake. Oh, was it? Yeah, no, I believe it was a, it was a, no, it was a river. My bad. Yeah, well, it's a body of water and the police thought it, the skull was a prank. That's the bit that stuck <laughs> yeah. with me. Um, and the rest of it was news to me. Yeah. And also I liked how relevant your story was. I think that's a really important cause. Again, look in the show notes. You'll find all the information about the referendum. Yeah, please do whatever you can to spread the word. And hopefully if you've got some dollars, send it their way, please. Cool. Right. So this has been Killing at the Crimecast. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this... What can they do, Sammy? If you uh, would like to rate or review on iTunes, that'd be amazing. It really helps us out. We've actually got some shout outs for two five-star reviews and they left a little 
description of whatever but i'm not gonna gonna bore you i'm not gonna read it you know how great we are you listen to the end um thank you to whining about crime and true crime finland both of which are fellow podcast pals um in the true crime genre obviously um so yeah go check them out and thank you guys so much for your five stars if you leave a five star review with a little little bit of words we'll give you a shout out as well yeah we'll give you a cheeky little shout out again so you can find us on Twitter at Killing It Crime. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Instagram at Killing It Crimecast. Why do you always mess up Instagram? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It's such a difficult word. I know. I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. You can follow us on both of those things. And you can email us at Killing It Crimecast at gmail.com. Right. We really hope you enjoy the show, guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>